Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hooped to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. Wow. Wow. There was some energy there. Energy. That's a little, opt- little optimism in my voice. Optimism. A little, uh, a- you know, let's look on the bright side. <laughs> that's, that's what we need right now. That's exactly right. Just a little let's look on the bright side. Yeah. You, know, I was th- you know, I was thinking, I was thinking uh, a lot of people do these podcasts. I don't know if you know that. There are others that do these podcasts. Hmm. And um, a lot of times they'll say, like, we have a jam-packed show today. We never really have a jam-packed show, ever. No, we have the opposite of a jam-packed show. <laughs> we, have the, we have 18 minutes of material, which we stretch out into an hour 40. Although Which today is, we're going to be better. We're going to we're going to try to limit ourselves today. That's we are. We're, we're announcing okay. this up front. So don't be surprised if this happens in the end. This show is going to be 75 minutes long. Right. That's <laughs> a tight, it. So a tight 75, a tight 75, minutes. which is ridiculous. Obviously, it should it should be like 12 minutes, really. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be 75 minutes long, even if that means we're in the middle of something. We're going to have our producer, Marissa, just literally cut it off and that'll be it. Great. I right? love it. I think that's fair. Yeah. If you've listened to this uh, podcast before, you'll know that uh, an hour 40 is pretty <laughs> typical. Uh, so 75 minutes might sound like a lot, but for us, it's like, and it, oh it's gosh. like the, it is the epitome of, uh, of efficiency. Tight. It's just a tight 75 minutes is basically <laughs> what we're talking about. Hey, before we get started today, I wanted to make a quick, uh, I guess a shout out. Just wanted to say something about uh, our thoughts for, uh, for Daryl Grove, who's the co-host of the Total Soccer Show, uh, Daryl is in hospice. Uh, he uh, has, I guess, been dealing with a liver problem. I don't know Daryl, uh, but I've listened to his show. He's he's a he seems comes across as this wonderful guy, tremendous soccer. Uh, loves you know, just wonderful to hear him talk about soccer and a huge, huge Parks and Rec guy. Uh, favorite show yeah. to the point where he actually put together a very funny Parks and Rec starting 11. I don't know. If, have you heard, have you seen this? Starting I have. 11? And it's uh it's incredibly well thought out. It's a, <laughs> it's a really like the choices are, are, um, are specific and uh, there's a lot of good reason yes. behind each choice for each, each player at each position. Uh, it's very impressive. So yes, I, uh, I, I will send my positive thoughts out into the universe. Definite positive thoughts. Two quick ones on the thing that I love. He has Tammy number two, 
as a defensive midfielder because she's a destroyer of human happiness, which I just love. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, and uh, he has Jerry Gergich uh, as a right forward because he's happy to sacrifice himself to make everyone else happy, and he's the ultimate target. I yeah. think that's that's really strong. He also really had strong. he also had Andy Dwyer, Chris Pratt's character, playing I think left forward in front of April Lovegate, his wife, who is the left defense uh, left midfielder. Uh, because Andy never knows what to do. And the idea, I think, was that he could just turn around and April would tell him what to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's so good. It's so good. So anyway, Daryl, our thoughts are with you. And uh, now we move on to talk. Uh, we're going to talk some World Series here, obviously. We are recording this on Thursday. So it is the off day between games two and three. Uh, as we record this, uh, Tampa Bay and the Dodgers are uh, tied at a game apiece. I don't know. I mean, it's it's felt like sort of um like an uneven series, kind of hard to to get any sort of flow from the series. What what has sort of been your thoughts from the first two games? Well, a few things. Number one, both of these teams are so good. They're, They're so good. So good. They're so it's good. it's really wild. Like the number of bullpen options in both <sighs> particularly uh, bullpens is ridiculous. That every yeah. single guy who comes out of the Tampa bullpen throws ninety nine <laughs> with crazy movement. It's it's really like I, I we've never seen anything like this. Like there no. there have been some great bullpens obviously in the in the last decade, but I mean the the Dodgers bullpen is is like above average. And and when I say that, I mean that if they were the bullpen of any team before the year two thousand, they would have dominated. Like they would have made the nasty boys look like oh, uh, right. like this year's Red Sox bullpen. Um, <laughs> So and and the number of dangerous hitters in every lineup is also insane. So every at bat feels like the like the best pitcher you've ever seen against the best hitter you've ever seen. And the scary thing about I'm obviously pulling for the Dodgers. I love Tampa Bay. I love that team. I love how they run. But the Dodgers just need Kershaw needs a ring. Let's just get Kershaw a ring. That's my <laughs> that's my overwhelming feeling. Um, but the scary thing about last night is now Brandon Lau started hitting. Yeah. Like that, and and really the thing that has kept Tampa from uh, from winning more easily, I guess you would say, is that they're they haven't hit well at all. Like it's basically been Randy and nobody else, right? And if Lau is hitting now, like uh, it's going to be real hard for the Dodgers to get through that lineup. Uh, and that and you would give the edge in pitching to Tampa Bay. You would give the edge in hitting to the Dodgers. But if Lau starts hitting, man, I mean, forget it. If he gets hot. If last night unlocked something in him and he gets really hot, I I fear for the uh, for the rest of the series. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lau hit two homers last night and looked good. He was on it. He looked helpless for two weeks. I mean, not yeah, it, it wasn't really just that he wasn't getting hit. He just he he just looked helpless. But you know, Rosarena was so good that it covered up. I mean, really, nobody on that team covered up the whole he, lineup. Yeah, no question. Yeah, also, more importantly. Why is it Lau and not Low? What, no, it's uh, what ridiculous. Are we, what are we doing here? What are we doing? This isn't. This is a, an affront because for the, in my entire life, L O W E is pronounced Low. Low. That's right. And that's now, right. And all of a sudden, you're just hit with this. No, I'm sorry. It's Lau. That doesn't. Uh, it, that's offensive to me. That's a, that's offensive and maybe a little racist. <laughs> it's wrong. It's just wrong. And the and the the worst part about it was, like the first time I heard somebody call him Brandon Lau. I was like, no, it's low. Like yeah. I like I was so sure that they were the ones making the mistake, and 
No, it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's loud. loud. Yeah, it's loud. not it's, cool. Not definitely uncool. No, it's, it's, how happy were you on a on a ten point scale? How happy were you that Kershaw threw six two hit innings in game one? T- ten, absolute. Yeah. I mean, look, I would have loved for it to be seven because seven feels better. But you know, I also understood. I mean, they were up what eight one when he They're left up, the game. There's eight no one and and no and and uh, as Brandon McCarthy pointed out on our uh, text thread. Uh, all of his, or not all of his, many of his postseason problems have come from leaving him in too long. Like, right. and if you go back and look at a bunch of the games that are that are um, used as evidence against him in the Kershaw can pitch in the postseason narrative, a lot of them are he was cruising through five or six, and then they left him out one more inning, and he got racked. So I was actually arguing, ironically, in that text thread that they should leave him in until he gives up a single base runner. Right. Because it was eight to one. And it was like, look, even if he gives up a home run, whatever, it's six innings, two runs, which is still a very good start. Uh, But Brandon's argument was, no, that's exactly what always happens. Just take him out. And then it's a clean, excellent. It's, I mean, six innings, two hits, one run, eight strikeouts. That's a great world series start. Like that's yeah. Today's era for sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, it just made me so happy, and I and you know we've been through this before with this guy because we both root for him and we both want him to eliminate this stupid narrative, um, which isn't stupid, frankly. There's, there's right. a lot of a lot of good evidence for the narrative. That's, that's <laughs> why it stinks. It's like you can't call it a stupid narrative anymore. You're like, uh, you know, he's got to he's got to pitch his way out of it. I, you know, it's it's really interesting because Brandon's been making this argument, and I mean, we saw it like just we saw it in the NLCS you know we saw it when you know he he struggled through five but but held uh held uh, them down to a run the Braves down to a run so he had five innings one run and then they brought him out and he was kind of toast and and then it ended yeah. up being a, a bad performance because yeah. because they did leave him out there a little bit too long so I was glad they pulled him but here's the thing he he could have thrown a nine inning shutout it's still going to come down to what he does on game five or whenever, yep. you know, if he's pitching, if he's pitching for the series, that's when it's going to come down. Cause he, remember he pitched that great game against the Astros in game one uh, of that yeah. world series, right? Yeah, he sure did. And, and, uh, and now what we're set up for theoretically is if the Dodgers win games three and four, he is out there pitching for the series yes. in game five. And that, yes. that is, that's the moment where it's like, okay, this is either, this is either going to be Dan Marino Right? right, where it's like he never, right. never won a title, or it's going to be John Elway, which right. is a guy who underperformed in the postseason for a long time and got his butt handed to him in a bunch of Super Bowls, and then got Terrell Davis and, and won back to back rings, and now is remembered as the greatest, uh, one of the greatest winning quarterbacks of all time. Like that's, it, that, I mean, who knows if that's going to happen? I, I, I can totally imagine it being two two, or even they could be down three one or oh, whatever. Sure, sure, but, but that the way that 2020 has gone my my guess is going to be that uh that Kershaw is going to be out there either pitching to stick to save the season or or pitching to win this the to whole thing. The thing and then that's yeah. going to be and, it, and if he doesn't come through in that game Ugh. then uh then there's then there's no getting this back there might already be no getting it back but if they were up 3-1 and he came out and he threw seven shutout innings or something and they won the series and in that case perhaps he even wins world series MVP, right? Because right. if he wins two games, if a starting pitcher wins two games in a five game series, that starting pitcher is usually the MVP of the series. Right. So th- there is a chance for him to buy this back in the here at the, in the sort of like 
not not end of his career, but in the you know the downslope of his career, that it's possible for him to undo a lot of what's been done. Well, I like I like the Elway comparison. Look, Elway was not good in the two Super Bowls he won. You know, I mean, he was gutsy. Yeah. He had that one touchdown run that everybody remembers and whatever. The whirly, but the whirly bird, the whirly uh, bird touchdown yeah. run, right? But <laughs> his numbers were not good. He was he didn't throw the ball well in those games. Uh, he never did. He never had a good Super Bowl as far as throwing the ball. Um, nobody cares, you know, because nope. they won. And I I think if if they won, especially if he was the MVP, but if they won and he. He just pitched well enough in Game 5. I mean, of course, it would be great if he threw out a legendary performance. But if he was, you know, if he was good enough, even if he went 6 and give up 2 and they won 5-2 or something, I'm not, the, look, for the people that want to knock Kershaw, the narrative will be there. But I think for the rest of everybody, it'll be kind of like, oh, he's won it. He's won it now. That's yeah. it, you know. He won Tim, it and he played a role in winning it, you know. Tim Kirkjian gave an incredible stat the other day on the Dan Lebatard show which is that he has, Kershaw has the lowest ERA since 1920, so the live ball era, right. of any of any pitcher who has thrown 1,500 innings. The, he is the absolute lowest ERA in the regular season. Yep. And in the postseason, uh, he has the highest ERA of anybody who's thrown 100 innings in the postseason. Now, granted, how many people have thrown 100 postseason innings? Not right. very many. No. Um, and also his ERA in the postseason is only, it's like, Oh, I say only, but it's like whatever four four fifty or four forty six right. or something. So it's not it's his ERA in the postseason isn't isn't nine, but it is pretty wild to have the lowest ERA of any pitcher in fifteen hundred innings in the regular yeah. season and the highest ERA of any pitcher with a hundred innings in the postseason. That's bananas. And like so, it's not we're not making it up. It's not it's not um, it's not the narrative that you see sometimes with golfers, for example. Right. Right. Of like, you know, Sergio Garcia can't win a major. Phil Mickelson can't win a major or whatever. It's like, ugh, well, the, whatever. Those are, you know, you, every time you play a golf tournament, you're facing off against hundreds of other guys and and whatever. You have a bad week. You, every, anybody can have a lot of bad weeks in golf. Sure. Um, so it's not that, but it is something. It's not nothing. It's something. And so it would be it would be a a relief. I, I hate as we've talked about on this podcast before. There is nothing in the world I hate more than the narrative of this person can't win the big one. I hate it. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. And and he is such a, obviously, first ballot Hall of Fame pitcher. He's going to Cooperstown no matter what. But this thing is going to haunt him unless he wins a ring. And I just, I'm going to, and it'll haunt him even less if he wins a ring and he is the reason why they win the ring. So yeah, that, that yeah. this is officially, if you want to, if you have no rooting interest in this series, this is the thing you should be pulling for, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Although I'm, I'm surprised how many people out there don't like Kershaw. I mean, you know, I guess maybe he's, you know, he's not on your team and whatever. Because uh, I've heard from plenty of people that are like, I don't feel for him. I hope he never wins. You know, it's like, okay. You know. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> I guess there were people do that to, uh, to to golfers too. All right. We, uh, there's there's something that we are going to discuss, and it is somewhat based on an athletic story that, uh, that, that I wrote that is coming up. But before we do that, there is one other World Series thing I want to ask you about and talk about. Do you have any understanding of what the Dodgers are doing with their starting pitching? No. I, I'm I'm utterly baffled. So so here's here's where we start and then and then we can sort of go into the details. The Dodgers come into the World Series with what looks to be five pretty exciting young pitchers. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Kershaw's not young, but but Kershaw's the, you know, one of the greatest of all time. So you have Kershaw and you have Walker Bueller, who, you know, I think most people would consider their ace. Uh, 
And then you have Dustin May, mm-hmm. uh, Julio Rios, and Tony Gonsolin. And all of those guys were just starters. None of them were were swingmen or 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 openers or anything else during the season. None of them seemed to have stuff that that suggests that's where they would be better off. And yet, none of those three are like real starters anymore. Like yeah. they turned all three of those guys into weird openers slash late inning bullpen guys slash I don't even know what Dustin May is and 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 he's been terrible. I mean it's like he clearly doesn't know what he is anymore either. What the heck is going on? Do you have any understanding of this? I don't. I mean look, the Dodgers aren't um aren't a backwards thinking team at all. Um, at all. Forward, very and forward so, thinking. Right. And so the only thing that I can uh, surmise is that it's really deeply analytical and matchup based and, and that there's a strategy behind it. Um, but I don't understand it. I, right. I don't, I don't quite know. I can't quite figure out exactly what the advantage is that they think they're getting, especially because at this point in the postseason, I mean, granted, look, these guys only played 60 games. So right. maybe part of what they're thinking is we don't have the same weary arm weariness um, that, that, uh, we might ordinarily have in October. And maybe that means that if we use Dustin May in this way, where he's throwing a couple of innings every night, we get to use him in more games than we would normally. He's available in, in more games. And then we, that gives us some kind of advantage. Same with Gonsolin, same with everybody, except for basically Bueller, basically at this point, Bueller and Kershaw are the only two actual starters. The only that two they, starters, yeah. Yeah, so I, that that's the only thing I can think, but I, I know there's a reason. They don't do things oh, without sure. reasons. They're, so, but I but I wish I knew exactly what those reasons were. And maybe well, it has something to do with the, with the you know, look, the, the Tampa Bay lineup, even though no one has ever heard of any of these guys, the lineup is incredibly deep. They haven't been hitting well. They didn't hit well in the ALCS, and they haven't been hitting well in general. But there, uh, it's a ton of guys who can hit, and so maybe they're just like, "Look, this lineup wears people out, and we don't want our starter to throw 85 pitches in three innings and then be unusable for you know for until game six or whatever." So instead of doing that, we're going to just throw a different guy at them every inning and try to keep them off balance and try to change the arm slots and the and the stuff they're seeing and. Um, and kind of just like it, it's like a little bit of guerrilla warfare or something. I don't know. I, I, I guess that's my only guess. But uh, your guess is as good as mine. Well, no, that's right. I mean, look, I wish that whatever they were doing would show up on the field so that it would be more apparent what they're doing. You know, I mean, it's hard to gauge a strategy when it doesn't appear to be working. Gonsolin, uh finding out the day before that he's starting. And look, I don't want to sound I don't want to sound like John Smoltz here and start going into some sort of old school everybody needs their roles or whatever, but that seems weird to me to just go ahead and tell Gonsolin, hey, you're starting and you'll probably throw twenty five pitches and and uh and that's it. And it's just like I, I don't know. I mean, I I I just I, it doesn't it feels to me like it's it's overthinking it. I mean, if if you look at a team like when you looked at those Royals that won the World Series, and obviously it was a different time, even five years ago, it's completely different. But that team realized, hey, look, we 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 don't have great starting pitching, but we have a great back end of the bullpen. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to the sixth inning, and then we know if we're winning going into seven, 
uh, you know, we got one guy who's going to pitch the seventh, one who's going to pitch the eighth, one who's going to pitch the ninth, and they're never going to lose. You know, those guys are are that good. So, like, you could understand the strategy. The starting rotation for the Dodgers didn't feel like a weakness to me. I mean, I yeah. mean, you know, Gonsolin and May, I mean, have incredible stuff. I mean, Urias has unbelievable stuff. And they, they seem to be like they were pitching pretty effectively as regular old starters. I just, I don't know. It's like, it's like they... They saw a problem coming that, you know, maybe it would have come. Maybe, maybe if they had gone the old way, it would have, it would have, it would have flopped. I don't know, but I, I don't know how they saw a problem coming with a rotation that looked pretty decent to me. Yeah, the only uh, sort of um, counter argument I think would be the way that they've used Urias because he has looked really good every time he's he been has. out there. I think he I don't has. think he's had a bad outing, so it's maybe it's just sort of like moving moving these guys around in theory is um you know is is the right thing to do and he's the he's the example he's like exhibit a um because he has been available a lot they've used him a lot and he's gone multiple innings a lot and so maybe that's what they're going for maybe that what they're thinking is we're going to not do one guy per inning we're going to do like all of our guys in chunks of innings you know two innings here three innings there and then because we're not throwing them for more than say 50 pitches a night, they, that means they're theoretically available for a couple batters the next night in a way that they wouldn't be if they were going five, six, seven innings. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, look, they're in the world series. They came back from three, one against a very good team. They, um, you know, they, in, until last night, they had the, they were on a real roll, you know, right. they won, they won three straight against an incredibly good uh, Atlanta team. And then they, they steamrolled the Rays in game one. So it's hard to say that like, it's a bad strategy. Um, and, you know, tonight is two classic starters tonight or tomorrow, rather it's, it's Bueller, Bueller and Morton. And so, you know, it's going to probably look like a more kind of traditional game. And then might, maybe what's going on is like, depending on what happens after that, there, maybe their strategy is, is, is flexible. Maybe it's a malleable situation where they're going to, you know, move guys around. They have plan A, plan B, plan C, and plan D, and then it, and it kind of depends on whether they win or lose Game Three. I don't know. Well, it's really possible. I, the thing that's that's so bizarre to me is that obviously Tampa Bay is the the team that essentially invent, invented the opener. Uh, they're the team that you know everybody looks at to do these sorts of uh, you know offbeat things, and they've gone traditional. I mean, they went with a traditional Game One, Game Two, Game Three starter. I mean, they've. They've really, you know, just said, hey, these are our three best starters and, and you know, they, they we're going to go with them as long as we can. I mean, I don't know. You're right. Urias has pitched really well, but, you know, he started a game. He went five innings in a start. And then they had the, the game against Atlanta where they were they won 15 to three and, and he, he pitched well in that game. And uh, it's like I say, I, I, I am not opposed at all to moving pieces around, trying different things, doing all that. I just, it just didn't feel necessary for the Dodgers. It, it felt like they were dealing from strength and then they've kind of messed it up. And I, I, Gonsolin and May particularly do not look the same in, in these weird roles that they've given them. Yeah. I, May, May's, um, May was throwing that tailing fastball. Yeah. Uh, that he throws, but it was tailing right over the middle of the plate, <laughs> which is not where you want it to tail. Uh, so, yeah, it's possible that he's just like a little out of sorts or something. Yeah. Um, 
and but maybe man. would be anyway. Maybe would be. Maybe you know he starts. It's a disaster. I don't. I don't know. It just like I say. It just. It just felt very odd to me. Very odd to me. So yeah. All right. So now we are going on to our main topic of discussion today. So uh, for the athletic, I wrote a piece where uh, I made the argument, and I want it to be a, a full fledged argument that. This is the year that Mookie Betts has supplanted Mike Trout as the best player in baseball. And I think this is such a fun time to argue. I I make the point in the piece that one thing Mike Trout has taken away from that, uh, from us as baseball fans, was that argument. Because I don't think you could make an argument for anybody else over the last you know, maybe eight years. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, since, it, since he came into the league, basically. Since he came into the league. <laughs> remember, remember when, you know, when Bryce Harper had that one good year and, and people were like, hey, maybe Bryce Harper. And like, no, no, that's not. And guys have come, you know, the guys have had great years, uh, you know, Josh Donaldson or Joey Votto or somebody or Paul Goldschmidt will have a great year. And then, you know, and then they come back and then they have an okay year. And but but Trout's years every single year is great. So we've not really had the argument uh, to have the argument has not been there to be to be had for the last eight, nine years. Uh, but I think it is now. Uh, I think Betts is there. So we are going to discuss fully who is greater. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, right? Right. So the way to do this is to start with some some uh you know some classic categories right, right like uh, right. in in order to be the best player in baseball you have to be the best sort of what you would call a five tool player five tools so so let's say let's let's first say like who is let's decide who the who's the better base runner mookie betts or or mike trout cuz base running is such an underappreciated art in the game and uh and they're both excellent base runners but right it's, now who would you say is the best base runner i think two? right now uh, Mookie Betts is the better base runner. I think uh, Trout has more or less stopped stealing bases, um, you know, for for probably for really good reasons. Um, but he has more or less stopped stealing bases. I mentioned in the piece that I wrote, there's a there's a stat I really like called extra bases taken, which you know looks at uh, going first to third, second to home, first to home on a double, and and sort of gives you a percentage of how often you take the extra base. And uh, Trout had his lowest extra bases taken. I mean, it's just 60 games, so it's I, I'm not putting that much stock into it. But over the last three or four years, his that extra bases taken has gone down. He's become less aggressive on the bases, and uh, and Betts is you know uh, better about that. And Betts is a stolen base threat. And we just saw in the World Series in Game One when he had that amazing. I mean, how cool was that? The way he the way he broke for home on and scored that run. I mean, he was two thirds of the way down by the time the ball was hit. I mean, it was, it was amazing. So yeah. I'm giving bets the slight edge in base running. Yeah, I am too. I think his, um, his instincts are just never wrong. Right. You know, like that, that's what's so amazing about him is like, you know, he, like he stole second he, in that inning. He walked, he stole second, he stole third and he came home on a ground out. Yeah. And it was a it was a sort of defining moment of the game. It was like it was one of those sequences where a guy without hitting a home run, which is o- almost always these days, the way that someone takes <laughs> right. over a game, he he completely took over the game. He just made it when he got traded to the Dodgers. I told my Dodger rooting friends, I was like, the thing about having Mookie Betts on the team is you just always feel like you're going to win. Like you yeah. just always you always you never feel like the game is out of reach because he does things like rob home runs with regularity. 
and he uh, and and steal bases, and he makes the right play every time. There was a play last night, and we're not talking about base running now. We're okay. So let's let's finish the base running thing. I agree with you. I think he's a better base runner. Now let's talk about defensively. Last night there was that play where um, there was a, a a ball hit to right. I can't remember now whether it was a, a fly ball. I think it was a base hit, and he he threw home to prevent. Oh no, I'm sorry. He threw to second to prevent the to guy prevent him from going, going to second. And it was. It, it was the like a an absolutely perfect throw. It was like in, in most of it was not on camera because they were cutting to the guy rounding first. Was it, it Adamas? Was I can't remember who it was. It was Margot. Oh, right? I, I think it, you're it, right, Margot. Yeah, it was, it was Margot. And and you see him pick up the ball and get into throwing position. You cut to Margot rounding first and slowing down. And then when you cut back, the ball is coming in like knee high on a perfect bounce at second without the fielder having to move an inch off the bag. And it, and it, that's the kind of thing where like defensively, I, I also give the edge to bets because it feels like, you know, ever since he made that, that um, incredible play on Tony Kemp in the late innings of, uh, of the last game of the ALCS against the Astros, you know, that Kemp hits Kemp leads off the inning and there was, I think the Red Sox are up by three and he, and he pulls the ball in the right field corner and bets is running at full speed toward the wall picks up the ball, wheels around, and throws out a very fast base runner at second. So instead of a runner on second and nobody out and like a rally starting with the top of their order coming up, I think, it was like, oh, yeah, don't worry. It's one out. <laughs> Everything's There's nobody on. It's fine. Like he just, he has, he he's the best right fielder in baseball. And even though Trout plays center, you know, Trout's, Trout's defense, we've always, um, sort of marveled at Trout's defense because he does a lot of spectacular things. He does a lot yeah. of, he does a lot of home run robbing because he's a crazy, you know, he's a, he's a RoboCop <laughs> robot who, who is like, he's seven feet tall and he can jump, uh, you know, 80 inches in the air. And he is cut was in his early days was constantly robbing home runs and, and gunning people down. He doesn't quite do the same thing anymore. And if you look at defensive metrics, they, they don't rate him nearly as high now as they did a few years ago. And I don't know what they say about bets because I haven't looked in a while, but it just no, they're, they're really good. Bets. Yeah, like I mean, bets' numbers are just off the charts. Yeah, yeah. And I so I, I think he's also if we're looking to see who's the best, you know, who's better. I, I think bets is a better outfielder than than Trout at this point. Yeah. And and honestly, look, I we, we're saying this as as people who love both of these guys, you know, just absolutely love both these guys, love Trout. But Trout's defense has always been a little bit. I'm not going to say overrated because that's not exactly the right word. It's like he's he's clearly a very good outfielder. He makes very, very few mistakes. He makes spectacular plays, like you say. But we all want him to be better kind of than he is, you know? <laughs> like we all want that Willie Mays comparison. And it's really more like a Mickey Mantle comparison where like, yeah, he's good out there, but he's not, he's not elite. Like he's not Kiermaier. I mean, he's not, he's not. Willie Mays, he's not Andrew Jones, he's not that level of good. He's good. He's definitely a good outfielder, very good. I mean, he's a good center fielder, but Betts is Clemente. You know, Betts is Ishiro. I mean, Betts is like one of the one of the great defensive right fielders ever uh, already, and and uh, and Trout isn't quite there. So of course, Trout gets the advantage of playing center field, but I think defensively, I still will give the edge. Uh, to Mookie Betts. I think he's a generational talent as a defensive player. All right. So if, if we're saying who's better, 
obviously we need to get into some intangible stuff, right? right we need to get right. into some things that, that don't show up in the box score. Right. We say. should say, right. We should say, because, you know, look, we, we're not even going to discuss it. Trout is a better offensive player than, than Betts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, he's a better offensive. He walks more. He hits with a bit more power. I mean, Betts, I think Betts is the second best offensive player in baseball, but there's a gap between him and Trout. Yeah. So we should say that up front. Right. That so Trout, it, generally speaking, Trout wins on offense. Betts wins on defense and base running. Right. So that's why we have to get into these sort of intangible qualities. Yes. Yes. Um, that, that will decide once and for all who's better. So who would you rather have a meal with? Right. So I think it's it's close, but I think you got to go with Mookie as a guy you'd rather have a meal with, right? I, I think he's yeah. right. I mean, I just think there's a little bit more. Uh, there's just a bit a better possibility for having really a fun conversation. No question. Not, the, you know, I think the key is like from what we know of them. You know, Trout loves the weather, so right. like you could talk about the weather with right. Trout, but Mookie seems a little more joyous. He seems a little more. Um, sort of personable, right? I guess is what you would say. And yeah. I think your chances of finding something in common or like having a kind of like inspiring conversation over dinner, I think is higher with Mookie than with Trout. I think that's right. I think that's right. But it does lead to the second intangible, which is if there was a a weather emergency coming to your city, you know, a tornado or a hurricane or uh, some sort of weather-related which of would you rather have Mike Trout or Mookie Betts as your friend? Well, this is this is the problem, right? Because obviously you'd rather have Trout for his knowledge of and understanding of the weather pattern in question, right? right? right. If you because you're going to say like, do I need to board up my windows? Should I exactly. get, get to the basement? Like Trout's your guy, right? But it, you, but in terms of like who's going to comfort you more and make you feel better, you know, or safer, or like. You know, like we can get through this, buddy. Like we're in this together. That's Mookie. So I, I think this one is a tie, kind of, because that's it's, a it's, tough one. It's yeah. a tough one. You would expect a little more empathy from Mookie, no question. Um, but I, I don't think you can overlook, you know, just how useful Mike Trout would be in a weather emergency, right? Yeah, yeah. I think given that we don't have a lot of details about the weather emergency, you've got to go Trout here because he I, just knows more about situations involving weather. Right. I think he just yeah. takes you to that next level. I think so. So, okay, so who would you rather... You have to um, go to Ikea to, right. get, to get a new bookshelf. Sure. And it's like a holiday weekend, and it's going to be real crowded, and you don't know exactly what you're looking for and it's been a long week and you're kind of stressed out because of work uh, and of your kid and your kid is sick and, and it's just like a rough, oh, like yeah. a rough, a rough time. Sure. Who, are, who would you rather go with Trout or Mookie? Well, see, this is interesting because I think Mookie would be there for you as as someone who would who would again with the empathy. I mean, he'd be there. He'd be supportive. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're trying to get in and out of Ikea, which is really what your goal is. Don't you want the discipline of a Mike Trout? Yeah, you know? I think you do. I think you want the robot in this case, right? You want you want the robotic excellence of of Mike Trout to help right. you navigate those aisles, make a selection, get out. You like you know you're going to get the best option because he's just going to be like sort of like boringly excellent at choosing right. an IKEA bookshelf. 
like there is no chance that you are going to stop and have the Swedish meatballs with Mike Trout. He's right. going to be like, we, we got to get out of here. Right. We got to get out of here. Mookie might be like, this is fun. Look at all these people. <laughs> like, let's just let's hang out a while. And like, let's just, you know talk to the cashier. And you're like, no, I just need to get home to my sick kid. I think you want Trout in that in a situation. I think like you that. want Trout in that case. But so as as the intangibles go right now, I've got Trout ahead to one. But key intangible, who do you think is the better hugger? Mike Trout. Or Mookie Bats. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> so Trout is like a Trout is a monster, right? He's yes, enormous. He's a, he's, he's he's a really he's big huge. dude, right? And so what you're you're tempted to say like, well, hugging Trout would be like hugging like a friendly moose or something, you know? <laughs> like it would be like powerful and and like you would feel like safe, you know? Right. right. But here's the key to this: Mookie Bats is adorable. He's adorable. He's the most adorable athlete, I think, anywhere. Like, uh, name a more adorable athlete than Mookie Betts. You can't. And so I think even though Trout's hugging prowess suggests that he would give, like, an incredible hug, I think Mookie is going to be the better hugger because I feel like he, again, it comes down to sort of personality or something. It comes comes down to, like, just adorableness and sort of, like, uh, congeniality I think you're going to be happier after a Mookie hug than after a Trout hug. I think that's right. I think that's, I think here's the thing with Trout. I mean, how much is he putting into that hug? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. I mean, he's probably at this point, he's going to be like, look, you want a hug? Fine. And he'll give it to you. He's a nice guy. He will give you the hug, but Mookie's Mookie's hug. I mean, you know, that's, that is absolutely getting candy and roses right there. I, I just feel like, I think you've got to give this one to Mookie, and I'm not sure it's that close, to be honest. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's Mookie solidly, don't you think? Oh, 100 percent. Now, here's the thing, though. I will say, uh, you want if you could combine the best aspects of a Mookie Betts hug with a with the best aspects of a Mike Trout hug, you know what you get? Oh, you get a David, you get a David Ortiz hug. <laughs> you do. That, you the, do. The David Ortiz <laughs> hug is the is got to be the greatest hug in the history of hugging. Like I, who? Like Nate, tell me, I defy you. To tell me who you would rather be hugged by at any in any situation, a celebratory hug, a comforting hug, a, like a, 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 a sort of like emotional post wedding hug. Like yeah. there's no hug that that exists in the world that David Ortiz wouldn't get. He is an A plus hugger across the board in every category. I would say that he is the greatest hugger in sports history. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who's on that list. You know, who might be on that list. He's not he's not at David Ortiz level. But a J.J. Watt hug would be good, wouldn't it? J.J. Watt hug would be great, no question. <laughs> yep. Again, he... again, like a an enormous monster who is also like happy and friendly. That's what you want. <laughs> you want a giant. You want a giant happy grizzly bear. <laughs> yes, you want you want a giant happy grizzly bear. I think that's right. All right, who would you rather go to see an NFC East game with? Okay, so let's let's figure this out here. Let's unravel this. So you're about yes. to see terrible football. Right, exactly. That's the key, and and you are maybe a little bit, um, you're maybe already a little bit conflicted because football clearly shouldn't be a sport anymore. No one should be watching football or playing football. It should be illegal. We should treat exactly. it like we should treat it like dogfighting, where it's like this is not this is not a thing that we should be engaging in as a species, and it's it's uncomfortable to watch, Correct. and and the quality of it in this case is terrible. You're watching you're watching bad football. You're watching the Washington football team play the New York Giants. Right. Uh, in a sleeting, awful, miserable Meadowlands 
uh, <laughs> on, on, in like early November. <laughs> so, so basically you're saying who, who is more comforting in times of incredible pain? That's what you're asking. Right. Well, I mean, look, you, 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 obviously you have a big Eagles fan in, in, uh, Trout, in right. Trout. So I don't, we're, we're not watching an Eagles game. We're, we're at giant stadium in the, in the freezing cold. So <laughs> he's probably bitter that we're even there. So that would make it tough. To, to do that. I feel like Mookie, Mookie, I don't think you, I don't think the cold weather breaks Mookie stride. I, I think he's still out there. Happily. He's smiling. He's, yeah, he's, he's having a good time. He's with a crowd. He's watching sports. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to say though, I think, I kind of think the answer is trout because um, I think what you want is to get anything out of this experience. There's nothing you can get out of this experience that's actual joy, right? It's a terrible football game. <laughs> Football's a terrible sport. You're in a terrible location with terrible weather. And I think what you might want is a guy who's going to be like robotically telling you like what's happening on the field, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. I, And I feel like there's a chance that Trout has a sort of like, could say like, uh, be a little like Tony Romo or something. Although less yeah. less ebullient, but like a little more like, <laughs> oh look, they're in there. You know, they're look they look at watch, watch keep your eye on the slot. Uh, they're gonna run that slant they ran in the first quarter or something. You know, like he'll he he would have a sort of robotic understanding of strategy and and like gameplay that may be informational in a way or something. Yeah, and and probably would be able to sort of give you a little NFC East storytelling right a little bit he probably would have some eagle stories some, from, some history of the league from his the, family yeah. and watching the eagles yeah no i think that could be good the other thing is if we're at a giants uh washington football team game i mean you kind of need a bodyguard don't you i mean you need oh, a little bit of a protector call. of right? course you do because the <laughs> the fans at football games are the worst in the world they're unruly and drunk and violent because That's again right. football's not a game we should be playing it should be illegal we shouldn't allow it in this country uh, there should be a UN guideline that we have to follow that outlaws the playing of professional football. So yes, of course, yes, that's a, that's key. I didn't even think of that. You need a you need a giant RoboCop to sit to stand next to you and protect you from all the morons in the stands who are drunk and screaming uh, at Dave Gettleman for the for the 2019 draft. <laughs> Um, yes, that's right. So I think it's I think it's Trout. Right, it's but Trout edges Mookie there. Okay, I guess so. But if we're talking, I mean, look, I mean, we're just going to, with what obviously everybody knows are the classic categories that you talk to when you're breaking down great baseball. So the 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 next uh, obvious question to ask, I mean, actually might have even been a little bit earlier. Which would you rather go to a breakfast buffet with? Okay, this is Mookie in a walk to me. Yeah, I think so too. Because I I don't think Trout gets any pleasure or enjoyment or of any kind from food. I think he's like uh, I think he's like I need fuel to power the, the internal fusion combustion system that powers my baseball prowess. And uh, and I think Mookie is just like, look at these eggs. These eggs are incredible. Look at this. Look how fluffy they are. Oh, I love sausage. Oh, and then she's just loading up his plate, just waffles and bagels and toast and coffee and orange juice and grapefruit juice and like and, you know, mu mini muffins. Uh, this is <laughs> mini muffins. Yes. I mean, there's no question there. The, the breakfast buffet in a walk is Mookie. There's no yeah, that's there's a, no debate here. That's a, well, you know, I mean, that's a lot of people said in the classic Maze Mantle argument, that's what was the difference, was Maze was the better breakfast. That's what put Maze over the top. That's right. Yeah. They went their breakfast buffet question. All right, so here's the last one, and, and this is important because this will be the tiebreaker. I think they're 3-3 three, three or 4-4 four, four at this point. Yep. Who do you, you're at a, you're at the breakfast buffet, 
and you start choking and you uh, fall to the ground and you're hopelessly you're you're close to death right and you realize that someone needs to perform an emergency tracheotomy on you <laughs> like they need to do that thing where they cut a hole near your windpipe and take a like a ballpoint pen and put right. it in your into your trachea so that you can breathe right you know that neither mookie betts nor mike trout knows how to perform an emergency <laughs> tracheotomy because they're baseball players they're not they're not surgeons no but one of the two of them you they say who would you want to have perform this emergency tracheotomy on you and you have to point with your dying breath you have to point to either mookie betts or mike trout who do you point to so difficult because the original version of this <clears throat> would be which one of them would you want to do the Heimlich maneuver on you? Yeah, right? no, for, forget Which, that. Clearly, that's Trout. Forget right? that. That's I mean, Trout, and that, and that because and that's why it's not a good uh, method for comparison. It's because right because it's too big. Well, that's why that's why nobody uses that. Right. None of the scouts use the the Heimlich. They used to. They yeah. used to use the Heimlich. Oh, the the old uh, school guys, the guys who hated Moneyball, <laughs> used this used the Heimlich. Uh, right. Well, that's how Babe Ruth was so famous. You know, that's that's why they picked him so high. That's why, and that's why, like Ted Klazuski and Al Kaline, all those <laughs> Harmon Killebrew. That's why those guys all got drafted, is because they passed what was referred to uh, uh, colloquially as the Heimlich test. The Heimlich it was test. Like exactly. which guy when they was draft when you were drafting guys, you would say, "Who would you want performing a Heimlich on you if you were choking at a breakfast buffet?" And that's, that's why right. all those giant sluggers were uh, were drafted. <laughs> but now we have advanced analytics. We're in the money, post Moneyball era. And now we we have a more sophisticated tool for evaluating right. baseball players, and it's this: Who would you it's want to perform an emergency tracheotomy? On you? <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, I remember that scene in Moneyball where he was like, "Guys, we're not doing the Heimlich here." Remember? I mean, when that's he right. said He's that. He's like, but... "Guys, we're not looking for Heim Heimlichers." <laughs> <laughs> so right. I think the tracheotomy question. I think I think it's pretty clear cut. I think you have to go with Mookie on yep. the tracheotomy, right? Yeah, I absolutely. just you just based on okay. So what do we know about Mookie, right? He does everything well. He's adorable. And he's an amazing bowler. That's the guy that you're going to ask to do the emergency tracheotomy, not the guy who's an amazing player and watches the Weather Channel, right? Right. And there's a bunch of things. There's also he's lightning quick, right? right. So he's, he's, he's dexterous and he can he's going to be very nimble uh and they're both look they're both technically excellent obviously of course. You, can't, you can't be the best or second best player in baseball without being just technically brilliant but mookie is very nimble he's very quick he's very agile uh he's very and and, and uh i i think there's one thing that really puts him over the top which is he's comforting right yes. like when you yes. when you're when you're lying there on the floor uh near the breakfast buffet and you're and you're gasping for breath. What you want is a guy to look down at you and smile and say, right. "Everything's going to be okay." Exactly. I've, I, I got, got this. this. <laughs> I'm I'm in. Ch I, I you're going to be fine. Just relax, and then and then we're gonna you're you're gonna make it. And I think that when you if someone is saying to you, "Don't worry, you're going to make it," you want that Mookie Betts face looking down at you. Like Trout, Trout make is a little inscrutable, right? He's a little like. Um, it's a little hard to read. And so yeah. I think if Trout yeah. is saying it, you might think, am I going to make it? I don't know. All I know is I'm choking on a mini muffin <laughs> on the floor of, of this breakfast buffet. But if Mookie is saying it, you're like, yes, I believe you. I believe what you're saying to me. I'm going to be okay. And that could be the difference between life or death. Well, look, I mean, I don't think there's any question that if you have Mike Trout and you have uh, Mookie Betts, that you would trust either of them. Of course. More than you would trust any other ball player in baseball. Of course. I don't the, think look, they're the two best. They're the two best <laughs> baseball players. They're the two best guys. Like, of course, you're going to trust either of them. You look, right. And by the way, you would also trust Freddie Freeman. You would trust yes. uh, Manny yes. Machado. 
example, you would trust as Fernando much, Tatis Jr. But but like there's a lot of guys you would you would generally think, OK, I'm going yeah, to be gonna OK. I mean, when you get yeah. down to your your next level, your, uh, you know, Trey Turner's, for example, or your right. your, um, you know, your George Springer's, I, I you might you know, it, it seems more like 50 50. You're going to survive. But when you're talking about the two best players in baseball, yes, of course, you're going to believe in both cases that you're going to be okay because these guys are the best. But I think that you feel better in that moment if it's Mookie Betts looking down on you than if it's Mike Trout. Well, and it's not and it's not uh, irrelevant that uh, you can't panic in that situation. You have to have confidence in who, you know, and there's just a much better bedside manner from Mookie than there would be from Mike Trout. The, the tough argument is, you know, Trout's sort of precision, uh, the way that he's good every single year that, you know, there's just sort of that consistency. I don't know. I mean, like to me, if like I was asking, okay, which one is going to remove my gallbladder? I think I'm going with the, with Trout at that point, but I think in an emergency situation, I got to go with Mookie. A hundred percent. Look, we're not talking about a planned surgery here. Right. Talking about, if you're talking about a planned surgery, I think you go trout, but that's not how we judge baseball players nope. in the year 2020. We gave <laughs> up a long time ago. We don't, we don't do that anymore because it's not a reliable methodology for predicting exactly. success. The more reliable methodology for predicting success is the emergency tracheotomy <laughs> breakfast buffet scenario. And in that case, I don't think there's any question. I think you want Moody. And by the way, think- if you run, if you run the numbers, there's other guys you would pick above trout even. If you really run the numbers, you pick Nelson Cruz above Trout. You pick Brand. You pick Brandon Nimmo above Trout. You pick Kevin Biggio above Trout. There's actually weirdly Trout is only like ninth or tenth when you run the numbers on the emergency on tracheotomy, tracheotomy yeah. breakfast. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I think it's just because a lot of old school guys still prefer the uh, planned uh, surgery, and which yeah. is we know is not the right way. I mean, we you know that's that is what that has led to more busts. It's than a anything ve- else it's a very coarse way to evaluate <laughs> baseball player talent. But uh, you no know, question. look, but Christian Yelich. I mean, is that a guy that you would have you'd have to consider him for the Yelich? Yelich is up there. Mike Yastrzemski weirdly is up there. Yeah, Acuna is weird. up there. Like, there's a lot of guys who are above Trout. And that's that's how you know that maybe Trout's era of being the best player is over because when you yeah. when you really evaluate it from this uh, good and reliable <laughs> methodology, You ca- the answer is Mookie. All right. So I think that based on the intangibles that we went with, uh, I think Mookie has surpassed yeah. Mike Trout we, as we the, just, the greatest player. I don't, it's I don't, been a wonderful run for Trout. Like, I don't think it. We just proved it. We just, Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's just, over. That's the great thing about relying on analysis like this is you don't have to you know, you're not. You, you can defend it by just saying, "Look, it's scientific. It's right there. Yeah, we just exactly. laid it out for you." I mean, I don't know what. Look, we didn't even have to, because, like, as you all know, you will go to the to the tiebreaker. I mean, if it's that close, you would do the which one of them can make a better peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. But we don't even need to go there. I don't think we even need to go there, Mookie. If you do want to do that, Mookie comes in second in the league in that category. The only That's per- true. the only person who beats him is Tim Anderson. Yes, um, but but Mookie's second and Trout is eighth. So, you know, I thought Trout was. I I, I looked at the way I figured it. I had Trout fourth in the league. Oh well, you're using Baseball Reference. I'm using right. Uh, I'm using right. uh, Fangraphs. You're using Fangraphs. <laughs> fangraphs making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. <laughs> All right, we have now finished the single stupidest segment we've ever done on the podcast. Don't you? Think, I, I don't wouldn't you say that. No, no, no. I mean, in fact, I don't think it's top twenty. 
It probably, it probably isn't. But we have proven it. And by the way, if you want to read more uh, about it, you can go to the Athletic and and uh, uh, and and read about uh, how Mookie Betts has surpassed Mike Trout for all the reasons that we just explained. All right. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and. You've got your neighbor's best friend's login (laughs) for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Yes. No annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Time for our draft, and uh, we are drafting uh, articles of clothing. That's it. That's mm-hmm. what we're drafting, right? We've do and do we feel like we've done this before? We can't remember, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> At this point, we're not even going to ask if we've done it before. We're just going to do it anyway. We don't care. We we know that the last one we did, we had done before. So it doesn't even matter. All right. Nope. Who has the first pick in, in this draft? Uh, I think, I think you, you do. do. Oh, really? I thought I, yeah, I think. I oh, you're right. Yes. Time. You picked first last time. And and, I, uh, and as you know, we have a very strict policy about <laughs> alternating. All right. Articles of clothing. Uh, my first pick is the is the hoodie. Uh, the, Ooh, the, hoodie, the hoodie, the hoodie sweatshirt is the, uh, essentially if there is such a thing as the official uniform of the Hollywood comedy writer, <laughs> male or female, it is a hoodie. Um, but that's not the only reason I'm picking it. I'm picking it because a good hoodie, a good like lightweight, but comforting and warm hoodie is the most um, uh, like adaptable piece of clothing. I think you can wear it when it's chilly and you need a little warmth. You can wear it even when it's hot. Um, because, uh, it's, if it's, if it's lightweight enough, you can throw it in your off on your office chair and it's always there. So you come in, you don't need to wear a new one every day. You can just wear them over and over again. They are, um, they're just incredibly comforting. It's the most comforting piece of clothing I think that exists in the world. Uh, I'm talking about now a zip up hoodie, the pullover hoodie garbage. Nobody, yes. li- nobody wants a pullover hoodie. It's a zip up hoodie with the pockets in the front for you to rest your hands. Uh, it is, uh, I think I've worn hoodies on more days than any other single piece of clothing, including possibly underwear. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, it, it's just the most, it's the most comforting and uh, feel good piece of clothing you can, you can own. 
and that's my I number like, one pick. I like a good hoodie. I don't. Yeah, I, I was glad to hear you say that the pullover hoodie, which I think is the way most people look at the hoodie is the pullover hoodie. No, pullover hoodie is not a good piece of clothing. not a good piece of clothing. No, because that because the the hood bunches up in your back, so like if you you it's just. It's not comfortable uh, at all if you're sitting to like lean back and you have that that bunched up hood in the back. The other thing about a, a good hoodie is the lightweight quality. If you get too thick a, a hoodie, I don't think it works. No, because then you're sweating. If, yeah, if it's, you know, it, you can't. It it can't be. It has to be. It has to be thin enough that you can even wear it over. Like if you're wearing an undershirt and like a button down shirt, right? You, you can, can just still throw it wear on the top. hoodie. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's that's yes. that's the kind I'm talking about. I like that. That's a good hoodie. I, I I'm with you. In fact, I my first pick, I think, is along the same lines, and 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 we'll have to go to the commissioner on this one. By the way, did we ever hear back from the commissioner on Jeff Garland walking out on our on our the middle of our draft? Uh, he said it's beyond his purview. Interesting. I I thought ever, a yeah. ban. I thought a ban was coming. I really did. Well, I, I think I think he's trouble. basically I think in classic Roger Goodell fashion, he's basically sidestepping it. He's like he's yeah. going to wait to see which way the wind blows. <laughs> and if the fans seem like they're outraged about Jeff Garland bailing out of our draft, <laughs> then he'll then he'll come in. He'll swoop in and institute a lifetime ban because that's what yeah, Goodell does. He doesn't he's not going to weigh in now. He's, he's going to wait and see what the owners think and what the fans think. And then he'll make it. He's a he's a, a bandwagon jumper. That guy. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. All right. With my first pick, I am taking the lightweight jacket. Uh, I love lightweight jackets. I'm to the point where I, I'm not a clothes person, particularly. Um, I mean, I wear them, but I don't care particularly about clothes that much. Uh, but I do care about jackets. I have been on a lifelong quest to find the perfect lightweight jacket, no hood, uh, but the perfect lightweight jacket. I like, I, I will be at places back, back in the days when we were allowed to leave our house, I'd be at places and I would see like people wearing really, really awesome jackets. And I, it was all I could do not to go up to them and ask them where they got it. <laughs> Why I just you? You should. I just it's, it's not. I mean, that really would be pushing it for me. Um, but I love a, oh, like a, of course, autumn. We've 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 established in a previous podcast that autumn is the best season by far. Uh, I have probably seven jackets that I've gathered through the years because uh, I'll never throw one out, and I don't love any of them and, and like every season I'll get one and I'll think oh this is the perfect jacket but then next year I'll come along and and I'll just you know I, I need a new one I love 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 a lightweight jacket right. so first pick lightweight jacket I think it's a good pick it's a uh, it, the only downside is that it's not a thing you can wear necessarily year-round every every day you know because you don't always need a jacket at all but yeah. but it, but it's still I I when you find a good one there oh. it, it is really wonderful it's like gold. Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. All right. I'm going to pick uh, my number two pick is jeans. Um, yeah. I've worn jeans all my life. Um, jeans are great because they my dad used to say they're napkins you wear, which is wonderful. <laughs> it's a wonderful way to think of jeans because um, you just you, you can treat them terribly and they they don't feel bad. <laughs> they're they, they'll still they'll still they'll still uh, be wearable and uh, and reliable. But also, this is sort of key to where I live. I'm not sure what it's like in North Carolina, but in L.A., jeans are things you can wear in the most uh, casual of circumstances. But also, right. like if you're going to a really nice restaurant, you can wear a decent pair of jeans to that restaurant. Like they they have a, a wide range of 
of circumstances. You can wear them to like, if, if they're nice jeans, if they're not like ratty and disgusting, you can wear them to cocktail parties and you can wear them to like, uh, you know, uh, more, not formal events, but certainly more formal than, uh, than everyday use. So they just have this incredible range of acceptability in the culture, which means they're just really versatile pants. And after you've worn them for a while and they're sort of worn in comfortable, there's nothing more comfortable. They're the most comfortable uh, of the pants, I think, it, when they're like broken in. Yeah, uh, after they're broken in. Yeah. That's right. I, you know, it's very strange, you know, and this is, you've lived both places, so you know. I mean, in New York, you cannot really pull off the jeans at a, at a, at a, like a something formal or reasonably formal. But in, a, in LA, you can, it feels like to me. Feels like in LA you can go into a nice restaurant in jeans if you if the rest of you know you're put together the rest of you. Uh, I don't know that that plays in New York quite the same level. It feels like that's a that's an LA New York thing to me. Um, yeah, the East Coast has a little more format. Boston too. Like it feels like there's a little more formality. I mean, this is something I've literally noticed. You know, you when I pack to go places, I just go. You know, if I go to LA. I I can I can pretty much do anything in jeans. I mean, yeah. there's really you know, but that's not true in New York or in the East Coast. Do, do you no, do you think so? Yeah, that no, no, you're right. The Northeast is still still has a little bit of a puritanical streak in it, and a, a little bit of a formality streak that sort of says like that you know, no jeans allowed is a pretty common thing to see yeah. in like a nice restaurant or whatever. And that's that's totally fine, by the way. Like I I'm not I'm not complaining. L A has a um, when I first moved here, a friend of mine said that. Um, if you go into any restaurant in LA and you see a person who, the, the, whoever the person is who's dressed the worst, that's the most powerful person in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so like you find a person who's in like a ratty t-shirt and flip flops and, and like jean shorts, that person is like a billionaire uh, producer, you know, like it's, and it's almost always true. I saw when I, when my wife and I, my wife and I went to dinner once years ago and it was the night that the friends series finale was going to air. And so like Friends was, you know, the biggest, it had gotten even bigger in its last couple of years. And it was, yeah, it was like, it's all anyone was talking about was, and we, we went out to dinner and then we're going to go home and watch the Friends finale. And the cast of Friends, all six of them was in the restaurant that we went to. <laughs> and it was incredible. And people kept sending bottles of champagne over. And when they got up to leave, everybody gave them a standing ovation. And it was really kind of cool. It was like a neat moment. Um, but the point is, is they were, they looked like uh, the, a bunch of like, 19 year old kids on spring break like they were just like <laughs> it was just like like matt leblanc was wearing a t-shirt that had a huge hole in the side of it like under oh under gosh. his right arm i mean the ladies were dressed a little nicer because you know because they have some self-respect <laughs> but, uh, but the dude all three of them were just like they looked they were the most slovenly people in the world it was kind of wonderful and it was a nice you know a nice like italian restaurant on on sunset <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. My second pick, I am going to take the t-shirt. Uh, I love them. I love a t-shirt. I have too many of them. My, my wife tells me all the time, just uh, you need to get rid of Because I don't wear whatever percentage of them. But there, I have millions of t-shirts. And uh, they just seem to have collected and gathered up. And for comfort and to sort of just, just go out there and have like there, there's something that that's that is said about you when you're wearing a t-shirt out I mean you know obviously there's some limited places but you know people will read the thing that you have on your t-shirt whatever it is um I wore a vote t-shirt a couple of weeks ago uh that I'd gotten somewhere I don't even know where 
Um, and I mean, I had a bunch of people that came up to me and were like, you know, yeah, yeah, good for you, man. You know, like I was a walking billboard for voting or something. And uh, and and I think that's uh, that's fun. So, uh, yeah, I love a T-shirt. And uh, that's my second pick. Yeah, it's a good pick. I mean, it, the, the, uh, a good trusty T-shirt that you have oh. for, for 10, 15 years that's like in regular rotation. There's nothing better than that. It's the best. No, it's it it's really is. And and. There are, the only problem with them is they're too easy to get, um, which means that you have um, too many of them. Everyone has too many of them, and right. and it's hard. And right. sometimes for emotional reasons, it's hard to get rid of them. Um, but yeah, no, it's a it's a good pick. It's a it's an but do obvious. Do you do pick. this it's, thing? Yeah, do you do this thing you, where you're basically going you, you picking you picking a t-shirt in the in your number two pick is like it's like when teams pick like um, left guards. From, yeah. you know fresno state or something it's like it's not it's not a sexy pick but it's like it's going to make your team better it's going to help the club that's going to be that guy is going to be anchoring your line for 10 years is what it's going to happen is is the way that's going to work um do you find yourself by the way like you have like a million t-shirts and you're going through and trying to pick a t-shirt and like there are a whole bunch that you're like god i wouldn't i'm not wearing that i'm not wearing that but you're not throwing them out either yeah, yeah. You're just just keeping them they're just there that's the problem. you never wear them that's the problem is like even when you're even when you realize you haven't worn a t-shirt in five years <laughs> if it has any kind of emotional attachment to you as an object like it's just hard to get rid of it and then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, all right my third, third pick, pick i'm picking uh slippers so I'm a late convert to slippers. I've I had wow. I had never worn slippers, and I don't really because I don't, you don't really need them uh, in LA. It's it's not usually slippers are like a it's cold in the morning and you want to you know be cozy. <laughs> and it's 1943. That's but right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But uh, but but my wife for my birthday last year got me a pair of slippers, LL Bean slippers, and uh, and God, they're so great. They're just so wonderful. I put them I put them next to my bed like an old man in a 19th century novel. <laughs> and when I wake up in the morning, I put them on. And instead of just walking around barefoot, um, which isn't the worst thing in the world, I'm wearing these incredibly fuzzy, cozy slippers. And it, it's like a game changer. I really have been I, I'm a total convert to slippers. And this is clearly so I'm, I'm turning 45 in a week. And right. um, and I, it, this is clearly a uh, an old man moment for me where I'm transitioning from a young person <laughs> to an old person and because I love these slippers so much I never want to be without them I take them everywhere I go if I if I go on a if I mean I haven't gone anywhere as no one has gone anywhere in months but right I when I but in the immediate aftermath of getting them I took them with me like if I went to on a trip or something I packed them which is crazy um I just love them so much and so I this is pro I'm probably reaching here this is probably a, a, a an extreme reach in the third round <laughs> to go slippers but I just love these slippers so much thank you LLB you're the best Wow. Yeah, no, slippers would have been there for you at five, I, I can tell yeah, you. I, mean, I know. That they would have, you went early, but you know, that's a Belichick maneuver where you're like, look, I want them. I don't care. I don't, you know, that's, <laughs> I, that's, right. that's I'm not, I don't need to wait. I don't, I don't care. That's, I, I know that I want slippers and I want, uh, I have never, I don't believe in my entire life worn slippers ever. So, you know, part of me is like ready to just jump on you for, for, for that pick. But part of me is like, maybe I'm missing something here. I, I don't know. I've, I've never, I've never worn slippers. My, the dog, my daughters love them. They wear, they've got like all kinds of goofy slippers and, you know, slippers that are in the shape of animals and whatever. And, and they seem to love them. Um, 
but I've never worn slippers. Are, are you recommending slippers or are you just saying that as a personal thing it is delightful? I, I, I guess I am, um, but it's hard for me to do it because I'm because I, I until literally last year at this time, I would have said like I could take your leave slippers. I don't have a I don't have a position. I have right. not issued right. my position That's paper on slippers, yeah. <laughs> but I got to say that like having a, this pair of slippers that I love has been so joyous. I think I am maybe recommending. Here's what I would say. Uh, uh, for for men and women, for the the special person in your life, be that a man or a woman, um, roll the dice on slippers. Even if your uh, significant other or the love of your life is not a slipper person, uh, I'm. I guess what I'm recommending is roll. If you're looking for a present, roll the dice on a on a comfy pair of uh, of slippers because it, it wow. might be a it might be a home run. And it gets as you know, look, you've been married for a long time. I've been married for a long time. It it gets hard to come up with ideas for presents that it does that anyone uh, that, that the person doesn't have already or hasn't bought for him or herself or whatever. And so I think that slippers are like this kind of weird old tiny idea that you don't think of naturally when it comes for a present time for a birthday or for a holiday. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm saying like, if you're out of ideas, roll the dice, get a pair of slippers and it might be, a, it might be the greatest thing you ever get the other person. I love this. I love you. You, you are fully in big slipper. I'm, uh, I'm, big in, the hands, is I'm big in the palm of big slipper. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break alley hoop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals game five, and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town, brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between, like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. All right, who is more likely to wear uh, a slipper, uh, slippers, uh, Mike Trout or Mookie Betts? Um, that, that's got to be Mookie. That's Mookie, yeah. That's Mookie, right? Although you never know. Look, Mike Trout watches the Weather Channel. That that is could go hand in hand with wearing slippers. No, I don't think so. I think he's he might be wearing pajamas while he watches the Ooh. Weather Channel, but I don't know that he's wearing slippers. I don't know. All right, with my third pick, uh, I am taking the baseball cap. Uh, what a just a absolutely delightful piece of clothing. I, I don't even know why uh, I love them so much. I mean, I know why, because they're wonderful. I've got millions of them. Uh, again, like T-shirts, I've picked them up. I have baseball caps that I don't even know, like, why. Like, I, I went through, I was going through my closet the other day. I wear, I When I play tennis, I always wear a, a baseball cap. And uh, uh, I was going through my closet, and I, I like, I had an old 
crumbly New York Mets baseball cap. Like not not like a full fledged cap, which obviously there's there you have, you know you have the fitted caps and you have like the the hot caps, but this was like one of those scrunchy New York sort of the Oscar Madison New York Mets cap. And I have no earthly idea why I have it or where I got it. But I put it on and just immediately felt just like, this is great. Look at me. And just walking around with a New York Mets cap. Baseball caps are so great. They don't have to be for baseball teams. They can be for any number of things. I've got, I've got you know, baseball caps from all sports and, and various companies that have no reason that I would ever have their baseball cap, but somehow picked it up along the way. I don't know. I just feel... I just feel like I'm at home in a baseball cap. So, uh, so I'm going with baseball cap, my third pick. It's a good pick. I mean, it's the, like, I, I think I talked about this in the, in the, the last time we did a one last meaningless thing is I have this Negro <laughs> leagues cap. Oh, that's right. The Memphis that's Red right. Sox cap. That is just, it's, it's just it. glorious. And it, like a hoodie, if you find the right one yes. that just feels good on your head, it's like, you, I'll, oh, I'll wear this every day, every single day <laughs> for the rest of my life, and I'll be totally happy. And they can last for 25 years. It's, yeah, yeah a, a good baseball cap, the one that like looks good on you and feels good on you, It's there's nothing like it. It's, it's incredible. When you have one that that you're happy with what's on it, and it like perfectly fits your head, and it's like, mm-hmm. because as you all know, Different baseball caps, they'll give you, you know, depending on how high the crown is or or how it sits on your head, some don't work. Yeah, yes. It's sometimes they look really good and you buy them and then you're like, nope, this is just, a, and there's nothing just, you can do. That That's it. There's a, that's just staying in your closet forever. That's it. You're never wearing that ad again. All right, um, fourth all right. pick. This is not, it, this is going to seem weird because it's really more of an accessory, but I'm picking the belt. Um, I I cannot wear pants without a belt. It is. Uh, it makes me feel so weird uh, and, and and naked. I feel naked. And uh, once, um, on, when I was writing on the Good Place, I came into work uh, and I realized in the car that I I rushed out of the house and I'd forgotten to put on a belt and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I can't concentrate. I can't do anything. And I found in the office, I found a like a long um, uh, electrical cord of some kind, like a power cord for a computer. Um, and I, and I, I manufactured it into a belt. Like I put it through my belt loops <laughs> and tied it off. And it, it was like, okay, now I can concentrate. And I wore a power cord as a belt all day because I felt so weird and creeped out <laughs> by not wearing a belt that I, I couldn't function. And, uh, I have like, I have two belts. I've had them both for 20 years. I'm guessing, I don't know, 30 years. Like they're so beaten up and worn in. Uh, one of them is black and one of them is Brown. Cause those are the those are the only two colors you need. And I wear whether if I'm wearing brown pants, I wear the brown or like blue pants, I wear the brown belt. And if I'm wearing like right. you know, tan pants or 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 jeans, I wear the black one. Uh, and I've I there has not been a day, I think in my adult life, that I have ever, ever, ever worn pants without a belt. Like it I just can't do it. So this is really a pick out of just sheer necessity. Like if 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 I don't pick the belt, my whole team falls apart. It's like I need. It's like having a center in football. Like I need a center. I need someone to snap. You need the a ball. center. Yeah. 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 So that's no. I, look, I I I get it. I I always wear a belt. Uh, I and I don't. I don't care. I mean, you you can wear a brown belt with jeans. What do I care? It doesn't matter to me. So, <laughs> I I like the I. I'm with you. I mean, look, it's it's a solid. And with that with that in mind, I'm going to go with my solid fourth round pick. Uh. And this is, I will admit, uh, personal for me, uh, but my fourth pick is going to be socks. Mm. And 
And the reason is I don't like ever go barefoot ever. Like, no, ever. who does that? No, it's horrible. So like I don't wear sandals like I don't. Obviously, I wouldn't wear sandals with socks, so I just don't wear sandals because I'm not going barefoot. Um, and if I'm like walking around the house, like it just being I don't go barefoot. So maybe that's my slippers thing. I just put on socks. I I always am wearing socks and uh, and, you know, I don't love socks. I'm not going to say that I'm like like I don't particularly care. I want them to be comfortable. Like, I don't like those socks that are that are too like that you have to really tug to put them on pull them on your feet like i don't like those kinds of socks but generally speaking if they're comfortable socks um i'm wearing socks yeah no you gotta wear socks everyone listen this is important if you take nothing else from this podcast (laughs) please please which you will take nothing else (laughs) please take this you need everyone needs to wear socks like it's it's just important it's uh we as a as a species have come too far to have to stare at each other's feet it's just we, we've it's it's not it's an unacceptable thing to force other people to look at your feet yeah that's especially fun. dudes it's, i gotta say especially dudes yet yet another reason why the beach is terrible oh yeah it's oh that's like, high on the list of the uh, beach is terrible the the beach is terrible rant begins with you can see everybody's feet <laughs> um all right for my final pick i'm i'm this is a this is a reach uh but whatever it's the last round this is mr irrelevant i can i can go for a reach here Sure. Um, I'm going to pick the raincoat. Now, it doesn't rain very often where I am in L.A., Never, obviously. Um, only about a couple months a year is it rain. But here's here's my rationale here. Um, the And when I say raincoat, I, what I really mean is rain-resistant coat of any kind, right? So right. not not like a, fl- a fleece or, or a hoodie or something. The reason is, is because if you are in the rain, it is the only thing that makes you okay. Like it, it is, you know, like there's no other, there's no other object and, and umbrellas stink. Everybody hates umbrellas. They're terrible. They're, they're terrible, terrible. And you lose Thank them all you. the time and the wind blows them around and they, and they still drip on you. And you get wet anyway, yes, they, even under an umbrella. Yes. So if you have a good rain resistant coat with a hood, um, it, it does a remarkably good job of keeping you. They do a really good job. They're, it's a really good product, a raincoat. It keeps rain <laughs> off of your body, which is the, its only job. Uh, and and I have one um, that was a crew gift from a show I worked on that is incredibly effective. It's just really great. And I and I for the two or three months a year in L.A., like basically December, January, February, where it actually rains, I have it at the ready. And anytime it's raining and I have to go outside, I put it on and I'm just marvel at what a good job it does at keeping rain <laughs> off of my torso. Um, so it's 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 not like a, again, it's not a sexy pick. It's not like. It's not. Uh, it's not gonna. It's not flashy. But no, you have a good offensive line. You really do. You I have a good a, offensive line. I have a very a, strong I, offensive line. I'm, I'm strong in the trenches, <laughs> and now I can get this uh, this weird specialty player. This is the Taysom Hill uh, of my team. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like a sort of a Swiss Army knife that he's just gonna. I'm gonna move him around and use him in different ways. Um, anyway, and that that's. It's really more about this one raincoat that I have than it is about the idea of raincoats in general. But I just like how good they are at doing their job. No, they're good. They're good. You know what I don't like? I don't like those raincoats that are made of like that material that like crinkles when you move your arms. Oh, that's bad. That those are bad. Those, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you want a raincoat that really kind of flows, but you're right. I mean, you you put on a hood, you could be out in the rain for a long time. Doesn't matter. You're not getting wet. Yeah, it's you just, want a, you want a good insulated uh raincoat. Like that's like a it's like a coat and also it's rain resistant. Right. No. And it works. I mean, look, in like in places like New York, 
essential, absolutely essential to have that. Everybody's walking around with those umbrellas. Everybody's getting wet. Yeah. Those umbrellas do not. Umbrellas stink. I'm so glad you said that. If, if To me, if there's one thing you can take away from this podcast, it is that umbrellas stink. Okay? Uh, <laughs> with, with my fifth fact, I'm taking, uh, I don't even know like what you call them anymore. I mean, it's the sneaker, the tennis shoe, the athletic shoe, the comfortable tennis shoe that you wear every day. Like not a specialty. Like I have tennis shoes so I play tennis. So that's like the only thing that has kept me sane uh, for, for the last six months is being able to play tennis. So I have an actual tennis shoe, but I'm talking about like the walking athletic shoe that I it's, I don't like, I don't understand why anybody, I mean, obviously you can't wear it like in, in formal settings and, and unless you're David Letterman or whatever, but you can't wear it in formal settings. Uh, I get that. But if you're just going somewhere and just doing something uh, again, back in those days when we were allowed to do that, why would you wear anything else? They're so delightfully comfortable. Yeah. You're basically talking about sneakers. You're talking about casual sneakers. So um, very quickly, uh, 1999, I'm going on what amounts to my first date with my now wife. And Mm -hmm. uh, she was at a bar with some friends at like a fancy hotel in New York, getting back to the New York LA uh, dichotomy of uh, of fanciness. And I walked, uh, so I'm, I'm 24 years old. I go to this uh, bar to meet her out. And um, the guy uh, stops me at the door and says, how old are you? Uh, He says uh, ID. So I give him my ID and it's a valid ID. It's a real driver's license. And he, and, but I, I, I looked very young at the time. And sure. uh, he said, um, how old are you? Uh, and I forgot in that moment. And I went, of course, I, I went like this. I went, I'm 24. <laughs> and I, like, I asked it like a question and he was like, all right, get out of here. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm serious. I'm 24. I, I, I promise you, look, that's a, that's a real driver's license. And then he kind of looked me up and down. He just wanted to find a reason to not let me in. And he said, like, I can't let you in. You're wearing sneakers. And we don't allow sneakers in here. And I was like, oh. you're kidding. He's like, no, I don't, we don't allow sneakers. So sorry, you can't come in. So inside is my uh, uh, the, the, the lady I will uh, fall in love with and have children <laughs> with and marry. And I can't get to her. And by the way, this is 1999 and I don't have a cell phone. No, there's no way to get. Right. Yeah, so I had I hadn't got my first cell phone yet. So I amazingly remembered her cell phone number because she had one and I had to walk to a phone booth which still existed back then well first I had to walk to a deli and buy something to get a quarter and then I had to walk to a phone booth and call her on the phone and say they won't let me in the club and then she came out and because she's a pretty lady she was like this guy's with me and he was like okay fine and let me in but I almost like I almost stood up my girlfriend slash now wife um accidentally because I was wearing sneakers and I couldn't get in the into the bar that is so delightful on so many levels but the most delightful element of that is i want to hear her tell that story <laughs> just i just the, the the man she would marry and have children with yeah. yeah he couldn't get into the bar and he was because he was wearing sneakers and i had to go out and save him that's amazing Some, that sometimes you think you about like how how can how What's a story you can tell your children that will really make them like understand the differences in the life that they're leading versus the life that we're leading? And I think about that's the one I tell because it's like I had didn't have a cell phone. Um, I had to go walk and get a quarter to go to a pay phone, a thing that doesn't exist anymore, to make a phone call to her cell phone. Like it's it's such an old 
it's not that long ago. It's only 20, no. it's 21 years ago. And yet it's a different, it's a completely different universe. Like it might as well be on Mars. We're in a different, completely different world. Yeah. We're in a completely different world. All right. We're just about done here. We're going to, uh, we're going to make sort of 175, 180. We're going to do it. Time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no diet coke for Joe. The podcast whoa—it's one last whoa—and I will start. <clears throat> been thinking about this i don't know why I've, I've been thinking about this but um i love the movie almost famous right do you love that movie do you love almost famous? i like it but i don't love it as much as you do okay i love it yeah you like it i love it but here's the thing i want to say about almost famous i believe almost famous is the worst titled movie in hollywood history mm. and here's the reason why i say that um i never ever ever remember the name of almost famous ever <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell people like, oh, I love that movie about the the kid who wrote the rock music, you know, with the one with the with 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 her, and you know, and 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 I never ever, literally, I was so worried I was not going to remember the name for this one last meaningless thing that I wrote it down so I would have it in front of me. Um, I think it's just I don't know why it is. There's no stickiness to that name, almost famous. So. I think for a a good to great movie, depending on where you are on Almost Famous, uh, it is it is the worst title ever made. Uh, uh, here's my counter argument: the movie Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise, sure, uh, is a wonderful movie. It's it's Groundhog Day, but an action movie, which is a yeah, which is good. a great idea. Um, Edge of Tomorrow is a terrible title. Nobody terrible. remembers it. It's 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 utterly forgettable. And as a bonus. The tagline for the movie, the, the like po movie poster tagline was "Live, Die, Repeat," which is a way better title for the movie. So good. If they so good. If they had just called the movie "Live, Die, Repeat," you'd be like, "Oh, I'm not, I remember that movie, Live, Die, Repeat." It's about the one where the guy lives and then dies and then repeats that. The repeat process. Uh, yeah. What was? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. What's that movie with Richard Gere, uh, and where he's a lawyer and he's defending? Um, I can't even think of the, the actor's name, uh, but he was defending uh, a guy who was who who pretended. Well, I don't, I don't want to wreck the the plot, but he essentially looked like he had a double personality, twin personality. Do you remember that? movie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's with Ed Norton. Um, with Ed Norton, right? And maybe Ed Norton's first movie. I never remember the name of that movie. Primal Fear. It's Primal Fear. And that's because it's a terrible movie. Terrible. What does that movie have to do with Primal Fear? Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, Nothing. It, and really, what is almost famous? Like because the band was almost famous. I guess is that. I think the point? yes. That that definitely is the point of that, that. That the band is almost famous. But I think Primal Fear was based on a book. So I'm guessing that they just. That, they just I'm guessing the name. book was based on was called Primal Fear, and they just they wanted to capitalize on people who had read the book. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a right. bad title. Um, it's a bad title. But, All right, your turn. My one last meaningless thing is that I take uh, I take as many people do Lipitor for high cholesterol because I've always had high cholesterol. And sure. um, recently, uh, I, I was just—I happened to be reading the label because I was calling in a, uh, a refill of the subscription. And it, as all medicines, it says don't drink grapefruit juice or eat grape 
for while you're on this medicine. That's like a, you know, that's like a famous thing, like antibiotics and all sorts of different medicine for some reason, grapefruit juice. Um, there's some kind of acid, I guess, in grapefruit that like neutralizes the effectiveness of the medicine. And I had forgotten that. And I also then simultaneously realized that I've had at least one um, grapefruit fizzy water drink pretty much every day for like the last, I don't know, six years. <laughs> so I suddenly was like, have I totally, have I been taking Lipitor for no reason because I've just neutralized it by drinking grapefruit juice? And I don't know the answer. Like I, I mean, it definitely says I'm looking at it right now. Do not eat grapefruit or drink grapefruit juice at any time while taking this medication. I guess I just want to say like, what the hell grapefruit juice? Like why, why you, why in the world is, are, are you, do you like have the quality of neutralizing modern medicine. That's such a crazy quality to have. And I know it's not your fault. Like you predated modern medicine. I get it. But like, it just stinks. Like I've, I've had so much grapefruit juice uh, and so and taken so much medicine over the last six years of my life. And it's really stinks. And now I'm wondering whether it was all for naught. That's it's feels to me like uh, I don't like grapefruit anyway. Uh, I do. Or grapefruit juice. Yeah, I know you do, but I, I don't, I don't like it. Um, but what is inside grapefruit juice that that destroys medicine? Yes. Like, what is it? It must like, be the is, citric acid. It's the acid, specific right? kind of it's citric acid. acid. I don't know, but I'm guessing that's what it has to be. I guess we could look but it up. So, but but it doesn't it. say oranges. I mean, it's not like other things with citric acid. Nope. Are, it's like grapefruit is like this superpower fruit. Oh, only grapefruit juice, and it's only it's the only <laughs> kind of juice I drink. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. So. Uh, so you have to give up one or the other. All right. You know what? We didn't do bad. Hour 25. We, we got it off. I know Marissa was like, she had her button, her hand on the button to stop us at one fifteen, but she let us go on for the extra 10 minutes. So as always, it's Mike, kind of her. it is kind of her. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. The presenting sponsor of today's show is tops.com and tops project 70 tops is celebrating the 70th anniversary of its very first baseball card design with a new program that pushes boundaries while also paying homage to their heritage. Founded in 1938 as a chewing gum company, Topps released their first baseball card set in 1951. Now, seven decades later, Topps has teamed up with 51 artists and creatives from around the globe to revisit and reimagine 70 years of Topps' most iconic baseball card designs through a year-long program called Project 70. Each artist will select their own MLB players and top designs from any year to craft a unique story. Ever wanted to know what Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle would look like in a 1980s tops design? Or how about Fernando Tatis Jr. in the 1950s? Now you can. Three new cards launch daily all year long on tops.com and are only available for 70 hours before they're gone for good. While you're there on the lookout for special cards, each card drop includes rainbow foil editions numbered 1 to 70 randomly inserted into each card's print run as well as one of one gold frame edition given to a lucky purchaser. Exclusive artist proof editions numbered to 51 featuring a silver frame are also available for purchase for every single card. But hurry as those sell out shortly after each card is launched. So look, head to tops.com to learn more about Project 70 and to check out which cards are live right now.